This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two pretty stellar individuals, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited that you're here. Before we get started, I just want to ask you guys a question about your soda cans or pop cans in Michigan. Do you ever find that they are like extremely dirty on top for some reason? Like if you buy them, not maybe from like a like a packaged cardboard box, but like if you go to a like a restaurant or something and they give you a can of soda, do you find that it's like really dirty on top or is that just a New York thing? What? No, I see this occasionally. It's kind of, especially for someone like me, that's pretty unnerving. And usually that means they're going to sit outside and I, sit outside, and I'm going to find a way to light them on fire inevitably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a, it's a weird thing that I've been, I've noticed for like the last, you know, few years since I've lived in New York is like all the soda cans that I buy or energy drinks or anything that's like, you know, in an aluminum can. It's like Arizona iced tea or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Unless you go to an establishment that is, cleaner than most i guess i don't know how to describe it like they <laughs> the tops of the cans are dirty but like even even coming out of vending machines they're just like covered in this weird something like film some people say it's rat pee but it always varies depending on the establishment like i bought a soda from this corner store that's right by me and like nine times out of ten there's like something on top of the can so i have to bring it home and i just wash the can down really quickly before i drink out of it it's something Mm -hmm. that's been bothering me and it's one of those little annoying things that just happen a lot and i just can't stop thinking about it so i figured i'd ask to see like Maybe this is something I'm only discovering as an adult, and I didn't notice as a younger child, and this is why my immune system is A-OK or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know, but like, because I've just been drinking dirt since I was a child is what I'm getting at. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a, a really weird thing, and I figured I'd ask you guys to see if I was going crazy. New York sounds awful. Yeah, you sound really perplexed. I mean, you're paying for it. That's New York City on on the top of those cans, and it's, it's, uh, it's an experience that you're getting. I don't know. That's my like little tidbit of the day. That's going to be a regular segment here on I Read Comic Books. I'm just kidding. Let me ask you guys, how have no, you been? No, please do. There's so many other neuroses to cover. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's, let's actually I'll get start. into the show. How have you been? How have comic books been? I'm going to not even give you the opportunity to start, Nick. Let's start with you, Kate. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, well, this past week was finals for me, so comic books haven't haven't had much time i read nimona and one other book um okay but like hallelujah i have such a backlog to get into now that that stupid class is done people Mm -hmm. never take a condensed grad class ever just if someone asks about it just run away just screech and run (laughs) um anyway so i actually this morning while i was doing laundry cracked open x-men grand design which yes. I definitely got on one of those Marvel sales, either for free or for like ninety nine cents. Yeah, definitely the ninety nine cent one, because yeah. otherwise it's Rest like twenty bucks. Yeah. So I was reading this, um, and I did not know what it was going into it, other than oh, hey, this is an X Men book that Mike has gushed about, so I guess I'll check it out for like that price, right? Mm-hmm. So it's Ed Pisker, and I read about thirty pages into the trade version. I don't think that's all of what was technically issue number one, but so far I really liked it. It's basically like, what if an incredible comic book creator turned the X-Men Wikipedia page into a nostalgia comic? Totally. And it's fantastic. And it also makes me want to set up an X-Men movie marathon with the gang. Oh, man. I'm very in the mood for it now. Now with all this <laughs> X-Men history gushing through my veins, mm-hmm. I need it. 
that book is so cool because it's like i mean i think you that's a pretty apt description of like what if it was a wikipedia page i see it as like ed pisker's take on what he normally does which is like really like interesting unique takes on like on like a biography and Mm -hmm. like taking it and focusing instead of a real life thing focusing it on the x-men and like you know if you've ever read i i I think if you like this you're really gonna like his hip-hop family tree his hip hop family tree is very wordy and very dense. So like you're going to want to, if you read the trade, cause I think it's in comicsology unlimited, or you could probably get it from your library. It's a very popular book and it's, it's really dense. So you want to like take it issue at a time or one issue at a time, because I tried to read it like in a sitting. And I think I spent two and a half hours just like getting through the whole trade. And I was like exhausted afterwards. Cause there's so much to take in if you have any interest in hip hop, but to Nick's point, WYSIWYG is also another really good one. Yeah. About I've the read first. that one. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's fantastic. I love this book. I mean, I, I'm going to shut up, but I could gush all day about it. Yeah, no, it's, he's a really good creator. I completely agree. Uh, Nick, how have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, I've been okay. Still, you know, a little bit sleep deprived here and there and attempting to take measures to deal with that. Uh, let me tell you, the problem with going off caffeine and continuing to go off caffeine is that you struggle to figure out if you're tired because you're off caffeine or if you were tired before and now you're just even more tired. Oh, no. Um, so there's been that. Uh, went and got my comics yesterday. My comic shop was very happy to see me after three weeks. Um, just kidding. They didn't send me a note yet. Uh, th- so that was at least yeah. good. And I got to have like a, a nice hearty five minute discussion about what's going on with, uh, Valiant sort of, I think I've talked about this before. Valiant has these deals where if you pre-order some of your books, like you pre-order like one or two arcs altogether. For example, I think one of the more recent ones was, uh, if you pre-ordered Shadow Man one, sorry, Shadow Man four through 11, um, you would get the special editions, which I've talked about how they put the content in the middle, and I hate it, but they're still great issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have to pre-order those, and at one point, a few weeks back, they sort of kind of dropped it out of previews, if I understand this. Like, at one point, with some of the books, they were like, I don't know if we're going to keep doing this. And, of course, none of this happened in previews. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it again. So it kind of created this weird gap, and so I had to go talk to my shop and try to make sure I'm going to get what I need. And they ended up having to actually call Valiant themselves. So it's nice to hear that, um, you know, people are having to do all this stupid work just because I want like eight extra pages of behind the scenes content. So uh, I Does feel that special. Book end up costing you more for doing that? No, 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 no. Mm-mm. These issues don't cost anything extra, but um, other than the time that was spent to get them to me. So, uh, Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And I mean, they're really cool. Like, if anyone is kind of on the fence about, like, is this sort of a gimmick or is it stupid? Like, all of these issues normally have like eight pages of script, um, process artwork, et cetera, et cetera. So it's definitely worth it. Um, Very cool. Beyond that, I I did do some reading. I read uh, the Terrifics three and four, and of course, these are written by Jeff Lemire, as all of them have been so far. Uh, but it seems like. Uh, if there are three certainties in life, it's death taxes and creative team shakeups on big two books. Uh, and <laughs> honestly, like a year ago when they talked about the terrifics initially, the goal was uh, Yvonne Reyes was going to do issues one through three because Doc Shaner had to move across the country uh, and then Shaner would just take over. But 
Since then, I was kind of disappointed because it was supposed to be, like I said, Reyes for the first arc, but I got to issue three, which was supposed to be Reyes's last issue, and surprise, surprise, he's not even drawing it. It's some guy named Joe Bennett, who I don't even know. He draws okay. like Reyes, so I see how they got him. It's just not quite as good as Reyes. So then I finally got to the Doc Shaner issue, and I was like, well, thank goodness, and I can't wait for next month, only to find out that in two months he's going to be gone, and that Bennett guy's going to come back, and then we're going to get Dale Eaglesham, who I like. He did Secret mm-hmm. Six, and he's great, but I also was promised Doc Shaner. So, um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, this is just the neuroses of like trying to stay on top of your books, and then it's like, well, now I know all this information, and it's so frustrating, but it's like, what are you going to do with that anyway? Um, I don't know. And it just got me sort of thinking about how sometimes we tell people you just got to roll with the punches when, you know, your page count goes up or down for your book or the prices get raised or lowered or the creative teams change. And it's like, maybe we should care, but if we do, won't that drive us insane? I don't know. It was, it's just kind of frustrating. And I think for a book like this, I do wonder uh, whether or not all of these change-ups are going to sort of um, get people dropping it because from what I've heard through the grapevine these what is this series called like dark future or whatever all these books where the artist gets billing first they're not doing well apparently so interesting but beyond that I mean I really enjoyed number four obviously with with Shainer. Um, and we sort of have the, the fictional team kind of coalescing now. And, and, of course, we're going into space. And Mr. Terrific's ship is just one giant uh, T-sphere, which uh, Phantom Girl just keeps calling T-balls, which uh, somehow that's <laughs> amusing, I guess. <laughs> it's funny because I didn't he originally call his little T-spheres T-balls? And then they were like, no, that sounds too childish. And then they changed it to T-spheres. I, I have a like distinct rem- memory of uh, Mr. Terrific in the JSA run that Jeff Johns wrote. Be- like he called them T balls, and I didn't think anything of it. But maybe maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. Maybe I'm getting the the uh, Arrow TV show like wrapped into my head because I think they make a joke about that in the show as well. Oh, maybe. Okay. But yeah. Before uh, before we ahead, move Kate. on, yeah. I have a grievance to pick with Nick. Oh. Uh-oh. And I'm going to derail well, Mike's show, and he's going to yell at me line. later. Oh, my. But, okay. You, first of all, loved the show last week with the web comics talk. So, Nick, you said, when asked about keeping up with web comics, you said, I don't know who's just sitting at their computer reading comics. When mm. Tell us about how you read your digital comics until very recently, Nick. All, all your comicsology books, explain, explain to our listeners how you read those. Oh, well, I mean, those are quote-unquote real comics and not web oh comics, God. so let's just Stop. start that flame war right oh, off no. the bat. Uh, and uh, secondly, um, yeah, uh, it's curled up with my little computer. I, I guess necessity is the mother of invention, so I suppose that's why I have mm-hmm. that tablet now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. would you say that you are, in fact, a person who sits at their computer and reads comics? Well, I was a very sad person <laughs> who sat at my computer and read comics. Okay, okay. This is this has been Kate's call out post. Uh, yeah. Now on with the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anyone else who has grievances get in line, I suppose. But uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, well, for me, yeah, I've been. I you know I read X Men Gold number thirty, and I heard so much muffled screaming on the internet about it. Like no one, no one 
blatantly spoiled it, but people were like, holy shit, this, this book, holy cow. And I was like, okay, so I stopped what I was doing in the middle of a D&D game to sit down and read this. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm that kind of jerk, I guess. And so this is Mark Guggenheim and David Marquez. Uh, this is the wedding issue between Peter and Kitty Pride. So Colossus and Kitty Pride were getting married. They've been building up to this for quite a while in the series. And boy, the end was something. I, I know a lot of people um, were talking about who's actually going to ruin this, what character is going to ruin this. I think on the show last week, I specifically called out what's going to happen that's going to make this go wrong. Um, what actually happened in the issue was a genuine surprise to the point where I like had to get up and walk around to think about it and in such a very good way. Like I wasn't mad about it. So many things happened. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I'm the happiest X-Men fanboy in the entire world right now. I don't know how Mark Guggenheim and Kelly Thompson and all the folks over at Marvel who are working on the X-Books, like I don't know if they heard my mental calls and screams for something good to happen in this world, but it happened. So if they built up this X-Men Gold series for 30 issues, plus the Generation X, plus the Rogue and Gambit book, plus the Iceman book, plus all the other stuff that's been going on, just to get to this moment, I am so pleased and I'm going to be, I, I don't know, I feel like I want to sit back and be like, I'm glad that I had faith in, in all of these X-Books because it finally paid off. Like, this is the first time in a many, many years where investing in the X-Books as like a hardcore reader has actually paid off, um, at least for me. Like, I know a lot of people are very upset. I am not in that camp and I just want to give the middle finger to everybody else who is, who's like, oh, I can't believe that's exactly what happened. And then, uh, it's so good. It's such a great thing. Uh, so I, I read that. Just your general tone, I'm wondering if you were actually reading x-men books yeah like, i know that's that's what okay. i'm saying it's a it it's so unbelievable what happened that i just i'm gonna roll with it and i'm very happy with how they're doing things are you just super pleased because it's canceled is that is that part <laughs> of it or that's not that's not it at all that's not it at all i heard it got I will, canceled I, bleeding cool. nick listen nick rich johnson has the scoop mike oh it doesn't matter about what's canceled and what's still ongoing. It's the okay. outcome of the issue that happened <laughs> for the greater story universe that is what I'm pleased about. Like I know that they're ending all the gold, they're go ending gold and blue, and they're doing all that stuff. But uh, I'm really excited for like what's actually happening canon-wise for the first time in a long time. I'm just like it's very rare that I'm like genuinely pleased. I keep saying genuine. I know it's making is. me quite unsettled. I'm really, really excited about the storyline that they decided to go with, and um, we'll see. Like the the solicits for books just revealed this mystery book that is coming out in July, and I'm very excited to pick it up because I'm a sucker. What so is it? I uh, if I tell you, it'll spoil the ending of X Men Thirty. So I'll tell you during the break. Oh, I'll tell you. Okay, the break. I thought you were just being, uh, you know unfairly cryptic no 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 i'm, I'm just i'm trying not to spoil it for anybody because i really think people should go out there and read it but um i also want to talk quickly i just read uh the wild storm number 12 and 13 yes holy shit you're just one ahead of me then okay uh, that they, they warren ellis just decided to kick things into a hundredth gear and really go crazy with this series and so for 11 issues it was kind of like what's he building what the fuck is this machine that i'm looking at and in issue 12 things get revealed and i just was like I, I can't believe it can't believe isn't it. 12 so, the one with the scene in the taxi cab at the end no that was uh that was, was that 11 10. oh that was 11 sorry that was 11 yeah. oh so that scene is so cold holy oh shit. man 
everything about this book Ice has cold. Like, gotten fantastic and i'm i'm totally digging it um this warren ellis and john davis hunt if you haven't tried this book I think you could go pick up the trades and catch up and start reading singles, and you will be blown away. There's so much machination going on in this book. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, Warren Ellis always does this. I always say this when I'm talking about his books. He loves building machines that get compounded as you build and build and build to a giant reveal. That's how he did it with Planetary. That's how he's doing it with Injection. That's how he's done it with a lot of his other books. Um, I think Trees is another example, which, by the way, it's coming back, baby. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. And he's got another book coming out with uh, Jason Howard, who worked on Trees with him. So, Cemetery I, Beach. I'm Yeah, I'm super excited with all that about, about Wildstorm. Things have gotten... There's finally making sense in a weird way. And uh, it only took 12 issues. But, like, you get into this book, you kind of have to trust this these writers. I mean, Warren Ellis is a veteran in comic books. And so people that are on board with the book, like myself, know that he doesn't deliver quick and fast punches and deliveries he's going to build something um with small small reveals along the way in order to make a bigger reveal that was like a you know action in right hand and he was playing you with his left so i don't know what that phrase is but you know what i mean about magicians but so yeah that's me um let's uh let's move on let's talk about books that are coming out this upcoming week comic books are released on june 27 2018 nick what are you excited for this week I am really, really excited for Quantum and Woody, number seven. This is written by Elliot Rahal and drawn by Francis Portella. Um, for those of us who know Elliot Rahal, or for those of us who I suppose need to know about Elliot Rahal, he uh, co-authored The Paybacks, one of Mike's favorite books, along with Donny Cates. Mm-hmm. Um, but amongst valiant readers, he's actually probably best known for writing two of the most emotional one-shots we've gotten. He wrote Bloodshot's Day Off. Um, which is about, I think, the Vietnam bloodshot and the World War II bloodshot sort of taking, obviously, as it sounds like, taking a day off in D.C. and just sort of exploring the city and talking about what it means to be a soldier and sacrifice and things like that. Uh, and that nearly made me tear up. But then there was Divinity 3 Escape from Gulag 396, which is about Archer and Armstrong in the Divinity 3 alternate um, Russia universe, or I forget what name they captioned for that, but... uh. Um, the two of them being in a gulag, uh, a Soviet prison of sorts. Uh, and that was, oh my God, that made me do a little bit more than tear up. That was like <laughs> an amazing story about the relentlessness of the human spirit and the um, and whatnot and those other things that I guess people with feelings talk about, I guess. Um, <laughs> they're like, this is where you're supposed to feel something, Nick. And I'm like, that's that's fine. That's very good. Uh, beyond that, uh, damn it all to hell if Quantum and Woody 6 didn't do the exact same thing to me. Also, Elliot Ray Hall, <laughs> his first issue on Quantum and Woody, and I thought I was safe because I'm like, he's going to make Quantum hate Woody, and Woody's going to hate Quantum, and it's going to be funny, and they're going to beat each other up. And then he's like, hey, what if I made this book real sad, okay? And I'm like, no, don't do it, Elliot. I've seen your work before. He's like, I'm going to turn this comedy into a tragedy, you bitch. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> And then he did. Um, For those unaware, Livewire's decisions in Harbinger Wars 2 have left Quantum and Woody um, without powers. Uh, Because, if I understand it correctly, their their molecules are unstable. And the bracelets keep their molecules stable if they're properly clanged together to extinguish whatever excess energy they have. And it's the bracelets being active that allows them to, like, I think, technically funnel their energy into their powers. So when the bracelets don't work, 
um, their their atoms are just simply unstable and the energy can't be channeled. I know you were all looking for that highly technical explanation, but Nick, yes. why won't their powers work? I know you were all wanting to know. Now you know, uh, and so of course Quantum or Eric is like, we still need to help people, and Woody is like, have you seen the other six issues of this run so far? Uh, not my thing, uh, but. Uh, Eric convinces him and they try to help people in a burning building and things get real sad. Things get real, real sad. Darkly funny, like morbidly, morbidly funny, but super, super sad. And so the next issue, we're going to find out what happens when two brothers are not able to clang for 24 hours (laughs) as they enter into a weird place called the other verse. Should be weird should be real weird. I don't know where this is going. Apparently it's a zone outside of the realms of life and death. So oh boy. This, is, this is exciting shit, man. Uh, and Francis Portella does the art. He did a splendid job. If anyone read Ivar Time Walker, did a great, great job on that. Then he went off and did a whole bunch of Faith, which I really don't read, but it's nice to see him back on a book that I do pay attention to. So uh, dramatic, dramatic superhero comic book shit going on over here. I'm so excited for Seven. He better awesome. not make me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, what about you? What are you excited for this week? I'm excited for Modern Fantasy number one. I know nothing about this other than the preview pages. I saw this um, listed on my comic book shop's website of what's upcoming and like Googled it and pulled it up. It's uh, being put out by Dark Horse, which I don't know why every publisher doesn't do this, but I love that Dark Horse puts up preview pages for all their books. Um, and so it's by, I'm going to butcher this first name, Rafer, Rafer Roberts, Roberts. Okay. and then artist is Kristen Goodsnook, something like that. Have not read anything by either of them, but it's a new miniseries, which is also like miniseries are like the easy way to step into something without too much commitment, right? So I'm like, I'm here for it. So this is what got me. I'm going to read it to you verbatim off of Dark Horse's website. Go for it. It's the most D&D thing I've ever heard. A young ranger woman who came to the city with dreams of adventure, her drug-dealing reptilian wizard roommate, and her boisterous dwarf maiden BFF embark on a modern-day quest to save the world while struggling to keep their crappy day jobs and pay off their student loans. (laughs) It goes from there, but you can see why I'm picking it up. Oh, my God. I I think I'm going to pick this up. This sounds awesome. Right? Mike, can I I read you verbatim from the Nick White Valiant Encyclopedia briefly? (laughs) No, get out of here, Nick. (laughs) All right. Rafer Roberts, Archer and Armstrong, A&A series is the worst Valiant series I've ever read. Oh, no. End of story. Uh Uh-oh. Whoa. Well, that puts a damper on my excitement. Hey, hey, you know, this book looks awesome just from the previews alone, Kate. Don't let Nick's, like, terrible, pessimistic worldview ruin this for you. This looks awesome. Okay. I don't agree with Nick at all times on comic books. Not everybody is golden all the time, okay? So it's totally possible. That Let me just say I that. I definitely don't always agree with Nick on comics. We have slightly different tastes. Yeah. But if he doesn't like something, it does make me suspect I might not like it either. So we'll see. So now I have tempered enthusiasm. Okay. Still picking it up. Okay. Not everybody is golden in different genres. So this, you know, who knows? Maybe this is more his thing anyway. Could be. Could be. It looks great. I, I'm going to definitely try this because it looks fun. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
Uh, well, for me this week, I'm super excited for Killer Be Killed number 20. This is Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. The reason why I'm excited for this issue is because it is the series finale, and I'm really baffled to see how they wrap this entire book up in one issue. If I'm not mistaken, this might be an oversized issue, but I'm like on one hand, I'm sad to see the series go because I think it's great. Um, Nick called this at like issue four. This might be their best work yet. I totally agree. Um, after reading the whole series so far, but on the other hand. I am excited to see what happens next, like what Brubaker and Phillips are doing next, because they're in this, like, this is their first project in their two or five year do anything contracted image, and we have yet to see something else come out of them. So whatever they've got coming next, I'm really excited for. Um, I believe it's a standalone graphic novel um, that's mm -hmm. coming out later this year. I don't remember what the name of it is, but my <clears> best <throat> friends are all junkies or all my best friends are junkies. Yeah. And it, like that looks that. like a super cool book. I'm buying that in hardcover because you can pre-order it and it looks real pretty. Like the pastel colors look fantastic. So I'm really excited to see this book wrap up in, in maybe get some answers about the crazy mystery behind this book. I, I'm slightly worried in a, in a very small piece of my mind, I'm worried because I know that with a book like a supernatural book like this, uh, the only other experience I can really think of with these two is Fatale, and I was kind of underwhelmed with the end of Fatale. I think the book on the whole is very good, and I recommend it to people all the time. I think people found its ending lacking. Yeah, and I, I was kind of in that same boat. I didn't think that it was the perfect ending. Um, I, I'm not trying to say that I could have written a better ending because I think Brubaker and Phillips do a fantastic job, but... Um, again, it was a little underwhelming. I'm hoping that we're not going to get this. I have a very strong feeling we will not, but that's like the small little thing in the back of my mind that's kind of nagging me. But otherwise, this book has been fantastic for 19 issues. I can, I would be very, very surprised if they somehow quote unquote screwed it up with issue 20. This is such a fantastic series. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, but that's me. I'm, I'm a Brubaker Phillips sucker like a lot of other people out there. For our show this week, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month, Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. But before we get into that, I want to bring up two quick things. One, we have a Q&A episode coming up on August 12th. So if you have any questions you want us to answer, anything at all, like I'm opening the floodgates for pretty much damn near anything, send it over to ircb at destroythesibe.org or respond to us on Twitter. Or use the hashtag IRCBQA. One other thing I want to mention, the Goodreads Book of the Month voting for July is open and should still be open by the time this episode airs, so go vote on the manga nominations that we had for July. We're going to be talking about manga in the Goodreads group all throughout the month of July, so get ready for it. I'm super excited because the front runner is one of my favorite manga right now, but we're not here to talk about any of that. We're actually going to talk about this book, Nimona, like I said. So Nick, Kate, full spoilers for this book. How did you guys feel? Just a warning, listener, full spoilers. How did you guys feel about this book? I've read it before, so I'm, I really want to hear your thoughts. Let's start with you, Kate, I guess. I, I had also read it before. I love this book. I love Noelle Stevenson. I love Lumberjanes. I love her stuff on Tumblr. She's a delight. This book's a delight. I was very excited when it won so that I had an excuse to go back and reread it. Nice. Cool. We're going to wrap this episode real quick up. Nick, <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, how did you feel about this book? I feel like I, I don't think you had read this before, so maybe you've got a little bit different perspective. 
Yeah, following hot on last week's episode where I gave my very uneducated and brief uh, experience with with, uh, webtoons and webcomics, we just decided we'd carry over that same sort of lack of experience and um, knowledge in in subject matter. And so this is my first time reading Nimona Mm -hmm. um, over the course of like two days. I mean, it's it's a fast read, but it's... I mean, it's still like nearly a 300-page book, I think. So it still takes you a little bit of time. Unlike Kate, like, I'm not real big on Noelle Stevenson. I tried Lumberjanes. I have the first trade sitting on my shelf. I've only made it halfway through, but uh, that's as far as I got. I sort of knew what I was getting into in terms of the writing and in terms of the art. And I find this better than Lumberjanes, but it also can't escape the fact that it is the sole byproduct of, of her her work so you know you can't get around that um i i I mean i guess i should add this i don't really think that this book is targeted at me obviously i don't think i'm the demographic here sure i don't think that i'm the the ideal demo that's gonna make or break this book's profit margin i guess that's probably the best way of putting it i mean but if we're being honest this book's already kind of had its heyday in terms yeah, of sales yeah, I mean, and it's don't, won its don't, don't get me stuff. wrong like nick white's you know semi-lukewarm review is not going to tank this thing into the you know into the red so to speak sure yeah um but yeah i i don't know i i, I still i still enjoyed it and i still think that for the people in that demo, I think they're going to get a lot out of it. But and and I do think it's a good book for introducing people to comics. I think it's easy to follow. I think it's very clear. It doesn't make weird page transitions. It doesn't make odd time hops or things like that without mm-hmm. very clearly, you know, identifying that to the reader. So as an introductory book into comics, especially as we've pointed out, I think, or at least we talked about before the show, for a book that was published largely by a prose producer publisher um like i I think that it's a very friendly and easy transition for readers yeah to move into into graphic novels or comic books so yeah yeah yeah. i i totally agree with that i mean i i never really got into lumberjanes but this book totally totally worked for me i mean it's it has a lot of the the things that I think that teens would like, because I'm a teen expert, so I know that teens would be really into this. Hello, fellow um, landscape. adults. Yes. Yeah, kind of thing. But I, I, I truly believe that. I think like if I, if I handed this to someone between the ages of like 13 and 17, they would totally yeah. dig on this book a lot. Especially. I mean, if, if you were... dabbed a few times before <laughs> passing it their way, yeah, yeah, getting a few dabs. Yeah, as I showed up on my hoverboard, you know, uh, with my <laughs> my slit screen glasses, um, faux hawk ready, popped collar for. Wait, wait, wrong, wrong generation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, but that being said, I really think that, you know, your point totally stands, Nick, that if you hand, if you, like, this is definitely for a different demographic. Um, that means, that doesn't mean that it's a bad book by any means. I think that this is, it's a lot of fun. It's a good introduction book to get people into thinking, oh, look at this hardcover thing that someone gave me. It's published by a, not by a comics publisher, but by, you know, an actual prose company. Um, kind of would would allow like maybe somebody's parents to be like, oh, this is published by Harper Collins or whoever did it. Right. I'll let them read it. Um, this and is it the sort out- of thing that ends up at a book fair, and I yeah. think that's like that's a big determining factor in, in in someone's success is if you can if you can get this sort of book into schools where comic books are still. I mean, we've we've gone uh, we've we've made a lot of progress, but there's still uh, great ways to go. 
um, you know, the fact that you can get this in into like a school library or something like that. That's that's how you start them. Yeah, and I think there there are comics publishers that do that, and they're in that space. I think First Second is a great example of that. They're doing yeah. that, but I, I, we're getting kind of away from the actual subject matter here, which is you know, Nimona the book, you know, kind of started as a web comic. I actually had never read the web comic beforehand. I only grabbed the book because I'd heard so much praise for it today before the show. I actually sat down and read through some of the the web comic, and it's it's the same story, but you can see Noel Stevenson's art has really evolved and gotten more refined. I guess more professional looking and I don't want to say that the webcomic it looks bad by any means but you can tell that there's a lot more editing and heavy like work done to all of the pages to make them look cleaner and make them like more pronounced with color and I will say the color work in this book is absolutely fantastic um oh but, yeah but like this the story in this book is really fun too because there it kind of takes that idea of you know the the <laughs> i say hip teen because i think the humor's there in terms of the like randomness and kind of really overly snarky tone of voice that a lot of the characters have specifically the character nimona um and like it totally works to think like this is exactly how a teenager who has these fantasies about like being the sidekick of a supervillain, um, this is how they would would react from a meta perspective of like, of course the bad guy is gonna fight the good guys and they're gonna lose because we're just gonna come back and do it again. Um, and they they hold on to that the same way that like a TV show like Venture Bros does, but in a much cleaner way. Venture Bros is is very uh, vulgar in a lot of sense, <laughs> but uh, they they still have that same feeling of like we understand what the actual meta narrative is here there's a bad guy there's a good guy they're gonna fight against each other the bad guy's gonna lose but he's gonna come back because the good guy's never gonna kill him you know it's that same problem we have with the batman and the joker um but there's it reminded there's... me a lot of in in austin powers where like he's about dr evil's about to kill austin powers or whatever and they're like aren't you gonna kill him or whatever and he's like no like the laser will do the job we're just gonna leave now or whatever <laughs> yeah. and then the assistant's like wouldn't it be smart to just like stick around and prove it or whatever and then yeah <laughs> that's seth green dr evil's son um come on yeah, i don't remember man <laughs> <laughs> many me like chocolate scotty don't <laughs> oh my kate please I can't believe you're here to be lukewarm on Nimona, but can freaking quote Austin Powers. I hate everything about you, Nick. Okay, yeah, so first of all, backtracking a little to go back on topic with the webcomic, she started this when she was in art school. And so you can, oh, like, okay. like it's normal to see in webcomics the progress that they make just doing a, a regular webcomic. They become much better artists. And you can see that with any webcomic as you follow, that's been going for a long time. Yeah. She was in art school though. So it is like astronomical leaps and bounds. It took, this was over a course of two years. And so when she started it, she was in art school and then it ended when she finished art school. And so... Yeah, she grew enormously as an artist and storyteller in the progress of making Nimona. And and there was also all sorts of fun side stuff like where people were really upset because it had a huge, huge fan following with people like commenting and doing fan art and all sorts of stuff. And so she had like a side thing when people got all distraught about them, about like the two uh, main characters in an alternate universe are actually the gay dads of Nimona as a toddler that they've adopted. <laughs> oh my like, God, yes. They had little sketches for that. And like, yeah, so, so you're right. Uh, she's come a really long way. And I like that they cleaned it into a very coherent book for art style wise when they put it all together to publish it. Um, 
I, I think it flows really, really well because of that, because it's a consistent art style throughout. Yeah. Um, Nimona reminded me a lot of Ripley. I think Kate mentioned that on the Goodreads forum too. Um, Ripley from Lumberjanes, where she's just super boisterous and sassy and energetic and just like wanting to get into things. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're talking about like that teens would really like that, I think that's kind of gets to that where... Um, she's just a very fun and snarky character, and uh, Noelle Stevenson really captures the, her dialogue really well, and all the other characters. I feel like if you read any lines in this book, you could tell the person you read them to, if they knew the story, could tell you who said them. They're like so, so well differentiated, and yet it doesn't feel forced at all, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, I think like if you if you compared a line from Nimona to a line from uh, Blackheart, like it's it's night and day because of just like the 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 tempo of the, how they say things and the word choices that they use. Like Blackheart sounds he sounds very regal and he's he's a bad guy, so he's going to sound terrible and he's going to be grim. Uh, and and you get the same way with uh, what's his name, Golden Loin. Golden as Loin, well. and yet Golden Loin is different than Blackheart too. Like yeah. they're very. It, uh, like you're saying, they're very like meta aware of their roles, and the and like Mona's like, let's kill everything. It's like, no, 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 we're villains, so we don't kill things. There's rules, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, what I are mean, you a monster? I, and I, I really liked that. I thought that that that's so funny. That really, that's what really hooked me on the on the whole story was this this we're aware of our roles in this world, and mm-hmm. it even becomes like a point of the story later. You know, I mean, near the end, Blackheart and Golden or Golden Loin are talking about you knew that I was going to become the villain if this had happened to you. You know, where gold or where Golden Loin shot off Blackheart's arm. You know, like he's like, if this were to happen to you, you would be the villain and I would be the hero. It didn't matter. It just we just knew our roles, and I, I like that a lot. Like I don't know, it totally worked in this story where we start really early with this idea of awareness of the meta um, storyline, and by the end, it actually plays out into the story. Like it totally paid off for me. I agree. I also, I guess it, the the book reminded me a lot of Bone by Jeff Smith, where it's really a very simple and kind of child, childish fantasy at first, but then it quickly becomes like more and more complex mm-hmm. and gets darker tones. Totally. And it got so interesting. Um, the, the whole points with Nimona's backstory, I think, are what really got me. I so curious and I definitely feel like I want more of it I, I feel like I still don't really know who or what she is and I want a sequel to this and I feel like that's kind of one of the points that frustrated me because when you have a scenario like that and I was getting towards the end of the book and a lot of those questions were being raised for me it was like have I not been paying attention? Did I miss something? Because all of this seems really muddy. And I know Nimoda's been saying this and that about her past, but apparently she's been lying, or hasn't she been lying? Or was it kind of a half-truth? And I feel like some of those things didn't get resolved. And I know it's tricky, you know, authorial intent is a is a two-way street. But for me, I kind of left it going, like, did she not make things clear, or was this supposed to be this way, or did I not just pay attention? Um, so that kind think, of frustrated me. I think it was supposed to be that you're left with the mystery, like in the epilogue where Blackheart is talking about how he 
sees her in different people and animals and imagines that she's around and that kind of thing. And like, he doesn't really know. And he, he like, he never gets that full closure. And yet he's seeing her everywhere kind of thing. That's why I think um, a follow-up story, even if it was like, where did she go from there? Like, what is her next chapter in her life look like? I would love to see. Um, but I do think it was very intentional. I don't think it's that you miss something. Um, I really like the artwork too. And I know what that's a fairly divisive point for some people. Like Chad said that he really liked the writing, but was not a fan of the art. From the Goodreads group, And Danny group, yeah. on the Goodreads group. Yeah, um, I said basically the opposite, that the art um, is like kind of cartoonish, um, but quote, that it perfectly serves the story, which I, com- I couldn't agree more. What did you guys think? It's interesting to th- like think about the cartoony style of the book, except for like when like there were a handful of panels where there was like a very intricately drawn elephant, or the dragon scene when you know Nimona's hanging out on top of the bank. There's just a panel of the dragon, and it doesn't even feel like the style of the book. It feels like a very well drawn medieval style dragon. Um, I, I really appreciated that like the attention to detail with that. Um, but the cartoonish like nature of the book totally worked because things needed to be a bit more cartoonish to kind of add to this like semi-awareness of what was happening in the right. story by the characters. So like you know you and it allowed you to do things like goof, goofy spots where Nimona would just be like hanging off of Blackheart's shoulder. That doesn't really work that well with realistic art, but it totally works in this cartoonish style. Or like at one point Nimona's like her head is just barely peeking over a desk and like. You can do that with realistic art, but it never feels as great as, compared to like a cartoonish style like this. Like a SpongeBob SquarePants totally works for doing that. Maybe not so much like I can't think of a realistic art like style, but like I, I don't know. I feel like it, it totally works for for the whole Alex feel Ross. of it. Like it, Al, okay, yeah, Alex Ross isn't gonna have characters peeking their head over a table to try to look goofy and to be quirky, um, just because it's never gonna happen. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, I think you could also call it like compare it to um, oh shoot, who did draws Jenkins, Tyler Jenkins, like that kind of. It's more like stylized than cartoony almost. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Tyler so, Jenkins isn't in, in Grass Kings. We're never gonna see someone just peeking their head cutely over a you know. Right, <laughs> but I just mean like stylized in that it's a very unique style to the point where if you see something drawn that way, you're like, oh, Noel Stevenson did that. Yeah, I was going to say, I hate to say it because people hate having their art compared to this, but for me, it is somewhat in that uh, Adventure Time uh, camp. Don't you dare. Yeah, Don't. but like you, but I also was going to compare it to like anime because like, I think like anime does has a lot of these fun little goofy tropes in yeah. them as well. Well, it's it's very simple characters like just profile wise, but there's a lot of room left for character facial expressions. And yeah, I would agree with you in that sense. Yeah. Um, like so, the yeah. models themselves are not that intricate, but the faces are still allowed um, quite a bit of leeway to do all sorts of different expressions. Yeah, um, which I works. do think that the style allows her to be really incredible at showing movement. Like the characters never feel stiff or static on the page the way that they can in some comic books, and especially Nimona is just always moving. And even just little things like showing her like wiggling in impatience when she's bored, mm-hmm. and like like you're saying like peeking and just do, just always in motion. Um, I think I it thought made any it of feel... the trans any of the transformative effects I thought were really really good with all yeah. of yes. that yeah, weird wispiness and everything, and I thought that was really good. I thought the huge knockdown 
drag out fight with all of the massive amounts of transformations. Uh, I thought that was really impressive. I think she's actually better at drawing animals than she is at drawing people. Um, oh, not sure. that that's a bad thing. That's just where I think her talent lies. Um, so if you're I looking for some like... professional criticism, I guess there there you go. No. <laughs> Speaking of transitioning and fights and stuff like that, I thought the use of the color palette to show, to like be able to ID Nimona in all her different shapes was really smart and really <laughs> yeah. well executed. Yeah, when like, she cause... turns into Blackheart and her hair is just like slightly red. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was too cute. Like how, because otherwise, gosh, you think about it like you have a whole comic about a character that's all different things all the time. How would you depict that and not make people endlessly confused? Um, And just doing it with that touch of color and then showing her kind of changing and how she's experiencing changing by changing her hair color, I thought was really interesting. And then she does the very traditional comic book thing where she uses color to show like different time periods when there's flashbacks and different locations. Like the color palette is very different in the, um, oh, what are they called? The company. Uh, They're just called the Institute. 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 Yeah, the color palette is very different in the Institute kind of thing. Yeah, it's greens um, versus reds, yeah. Right. Can we talk about something at the beginning of the book briefly? Um, If I'm remembering this wrong... When she shows up, she says the Institute sent her, right? Or something right. along these lines? Right, Um, Do we ever get any elaboration on that? Because obviously we would have to believe that that's not true at all. But well, how does she find bluff. him or what is her interest in him? They So he's famous in this world, right? He's the famous villain. And so I guess. he, you know, it's quickly admitted that 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 she wasn't really sent by them, but she's just a big fan and was trying to get in with him kind of thing because, like, he's the big bad guy and she wants to be a villain too. Okay. I guess I thought there was more there or something that wasn't really touched on, but I guess it... If you look at it from, like, the full story perspective, right, the Institute was aware of Blackheart. They are aware of where he was. They are aware of him being the, the villain. It would, it would make sense that maybe they think, oh, you need a sidekick, so they would send him along. And then when Nimonis actually shows up and starts causing more chaos, um, they're like, whoa, whoa, Blackheart has gotten way out of line. We need to, we need to stop him. They could have done that from the get-go, but they didn't because for some reason this world wanted that sort of fight. It, that That's kind of how I read it. I mean, obviously he calls her bluff and it turns out it wasn't true and yada, yada, yada. Um, but still, like that, that kind of... Uh, again, big awareness of the overall like archetypes of villain versus hero totally right. exist, and they acknowledge it, and that's just another a further acknowledgement of where that Blackheart would half believe that to be- to begin with, um, to say, oh well, that makes sense, but wait a second, they wouldn't do that. Like he he totally believed it, and then realized it was a farce. Like I just think that was just leaning further into that whole recognition of story. Well, you end up with like traps within traps within traps within traps. So yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I this mean, gets meta to a point that you either find it painful or funny, or painful and then funny, or funny and then painful. Sure. So, Francis pointed out. He said on the Goodreads group, "I've been more aware of the parallels to Orwell's 1984 and how that in that the party uses propaganda to create an enemy and endless war, so as to spread fear and use that fear as a means of control." And he's comparing that to the Institute, and I thought that was a really cool point about basically how they, these, you know, the rules of like, well, neither, we always fight, and you always plot to do stuff, and I always stop you, and we, you never really do much harm, but I also never stop you. That kind of manufactured conflict, yeah, mm-hmm. 
um, that has no resolution but just incentivizes the populace or keeps them entranced or whatever, I thought was really a clever point um, and an interesting one. And they, they use that to justify all their, you know, experimenting with Jade Root and all that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the ploy that the Institute had of, you know, well, you know, they cut, excuse me, the ploy that Blackheart had to say, oh, well, let's poison the people um, and they're not going to die. They're just going to get sick. Um, right. Like to, in order to frame the Institute, like obviously Blackheart has a, has a, big chip on his shoulder against them given everything that happened but like he's never super nefarious about it he's just kind of seeking some slight revenge to what end we never find out which i thought was like the kind of the biggest plot hole in this book was blackheart was constantly trying to fight against the institute but to what end and he could and even nimona kept asking him what is your actual end goal and he's like i don't know i'm not going to lead i'm not going to take over the institute i just want to do this um which is kind of kind of weird but i guess maybe kate you maybe you've read this and you have a different insight into it yeah i think both golden loin and um blackheart feel really stuck in their roles like they know their roles but they also don't seem to be able to break out of them there's that whole relationship between them um that you can read a lot into and that you know they're childhood friends and they uh may or may not be romantic with each other yeah, or want th- to be yeah they and definitely I think, were I think though <laughs> they, yeah oh for sure for sure um but I think that, at least to me, it seemed very much like they both were, they didn't like their roles, but also didn't seem to be able to break out of them. So sure. she keeps pushing him, like, why are you still in this cycle? Why can't you, go, you know, do more? Why can't you um, change things? And he's just like, well, because I I can't. And the same yeah. with Golden Loin, where it's like, well, why are you, you know, um, Blackheart keeps pushing him and he's like, why are you still fighting for them? Why are you doing this? Why are you you know, being like this? And he's like, well, I just have to. Um, so they're like aware of it, but can't step out, which, you know, hashtag relatable. Um, sure, sure. And so I think that that to me made sense. And then the ultimate resolution is Nimona does break the cycle by blowing the shit up. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. like all those people are dead. <laughs> um, and she literally burned it to the ground. So go Nimona. At what point are we going to talk about the the violence in this book? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that was something that, Nick, I know you had pointed out to me at one point when we were talking about this in preparation for, for the show. Just like the, there's a lot of violence in this book. Um, and it's it's kind of talked about, but it's not really, like there's no resolution from it. It seems to be just kind of hand-waved over. Um and I mean, like, we get that in every comic book ever that's going to have any action, it's going to have anything. There's going to be violence, there's going to be death. It's what happens in action stories like this. But again, going back to the the thing, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling from Nick's points that he had said to me. It's like, is this, like, was Nimona supposed to be seen as, like, a good guy, a bad guy, a, you know, a, kind of like a neutral character? Or, or was she really just supposed to be, like, a, a force of change like maybe she Chaos. was the person that introduced change in order to break yeah. some broken cycle I and mean, maybe i just answered my question i do think that's it i think she comes in and everyone everyone that in this world is kind of stuck in this pattern and she shakes up the status quo and burns it to the ground and then she leaves and that's kind of um she comes in as this kind of force of nature to be reckoned with it sure. reminded me of Mad Max, the new movie, yeah. where he just shows up and does his job and then just walks off. Yep. Oh, that's I, I didn't consider that. That's actually, yeah, I like that. 
What, well, I, maybe Mike, I missed the scene a, where... If you get an English degree and you pay them the obscene money that you pay them, <laughs> you'll be able to come up with these sorts of pithy pieces of shit. So, gotcha. I mean, uh, I did miss the scene in Mad Max where he turned into a dragon. Maybe I need to watch that again. Look, it would have been. I know so they're much working better. on making this into a movie, so let's just cast Tom Hardy, and he can just mumble his way through the role. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Francis also pointed out, like, the this is something that I want to talk about because it was, like, on my second read, it was way more apparent than the first read. Um, the, Francis said, the characters of Lord Ballister and Sir Goldenloin were cool. The way their love for one another was undermined by a manufactured rivalry gave them strong motivations. And I, that kind of talks to Kate's point um, about them seeing, like, I don't know what to do, but it gives me, a, to me, I read it as, I don't know what to do, but it gives me a reason to interact with this person. Um and neither of them wanted to stop that because I think they both wanted to come together because I totally read this underlying love story between the two of them or this they at one point were together and now they no longer could be because they were such staunch rivals because of this this perceived betrayal from Sir Goldenloin onto Ballister. Um, and or wait, I'm getting this backwards. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I got it right. Uh, <laughs> between, you know, Goldenloin where he shot Blackheart, I'm going calling them by last names because that's easier in my head and you know at at one point when they go meet in the tavern and goldenloin puts his hand on blackheart's hand i i saw it this time and i went oh that's what's going on because he wanted things (laughs) to go back to the way that they were even though it was impossible and that like i didn't even read into that at all even in the flashback to them as younger kids in the epilogue you know like the the special christmas story about bell you know about blackheart giving goldenloin his like little toy and he's like oh you've got mm-hmm. i've got one just like yours you should bring yours out um which i thought was really cute and like so i read w- way more into that this book i liked that a lot like i didn't even pick it up the first time and it's a it's like a nice way to kind of say this is a relationship between two people and unless you're looking for it you're not going to see it um but i think a lot of people who are probably studying this book or reading this book like as like a introduction to comic books may see it like that because they're absorbing it all for the first time and probably taking it in with a with a much bigger like i guess they're, they're probably using a magnifying glass to read the book because they're like having such a like big experience with this new thing i i feel like i'm not mm-hmm. describing what i'm trying to say Mike's here just very gonna well, go home but... after this and watch the sixth sense and be like oh shit <laughs> this too yeah yeah i well, mean I, think... I don't know it wasn't obvious to me the first time i read it that's all yeah i get what you're saying and i think you come to di- books with different very different ways of seeing and interpreting them depending on your past experiences like I think as longtime comic book readers, we all know the trope of like the dark phoenix, right? Like that really recycled cliche of the woman with terrible power that, you know, we have to conquer to save the world because she's sure. going to destroy everything because yeah. women are scary. And instead <laughs> in Nimona, um, they, you know, they try and control her and they're scary and all that stuff, but she breaks free and like she has the best possible ending, right? She gets to go off and choose her own fate and is is not terrible. She's in control. Yeah, it was kind of an it was an interesting ending in that regard because I really wasn't sure like I remember thinking this the first time I read it. I was like, how is this book gonna wrap up? Like how yeah. are they really gonna settle this and make sure that we get a like a slight happy ending? Because I not to say that I expected a happy ending, but like you can't really put out a book like this and get without a happy some sort of happy ending yeah. for someone and in the end it, you know it fixed things for for blackheart and it, it, you know he went from this very bitter like secluded person to going back to doing the thing that he loved which was science which 
right. just, that blanket statement of science. And uh, I, I liked that. And I like that, to your point, Kate, you know, pointing out that Nimona also was free. She was no longer, you know, she, we, it seemed like she was going to be in shackles and she was going to be defeated for the benefit of, you know, another character. But in the end, she was able to escape. I, I think that that's, that's a happier ending than probably most people would expect coming out of this. Right, and the whole story is told from Blackheart's perspective, and so from his perspective, like she kind of comes in to his kind of very stale, um, cyclical world and shakes things up and then leaves, and I think that's a really interesting way to tell a story kind of thing, mm-hmm. where for him it's kind of like just a chapter, but it breaks him out of all that. And now, in my heart, I believe that he and Golden Loin are living happily ever after together. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we didn't see his morning routine afterwards, but, you know, we'll see right. maybe in the sequel. I don't think there's going to be a sequel, but, you know. I don't think so either. In my fan fiction sequel, oh, you're right. going to see right. the morning routine. So I guess, you know, what are your guys' final thoughts on this book? Like, I know we, we've, we've talked about it for quite a bit. Um, but if you had to like sum up your, your thoughts about this book, um, what would they be? I would say that this is a beautifully illustrated uh, graphic novel that I would absolutely recommend to comic fans and non-comic fans alike. It's a very easy, like we talked about, entry point, easy to read uh, comic that I think, like you said, Mike, um, would be really appropriate for teenagers. I would even say middle schoolers. Yeah. I would absolutely give this like as a gift to friends' daughters in a heartbeat. I think it's fantastic. It has a wonderful message, and it's a lot of fun. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I think that the approachability here is probably one of this book's greatest talents. It's self-contained. Um, aesthetically, it's it's got a pretty good art style. Um, there aren't any volumes that follow it. There isn't some weird, you know, set of books that you've got to pick up or order or buy following it. So it's 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 all right there. Uh, and yeah, as as Kate said, the the message is good. I would say obviously that the book is I feel more meant for or targeting younger readers, but. As we said, I think there's value for those looking to get into comics in this book as well. So um, yeah, I think it's legitimately all ages. I we you yeah. know we've talked about that on the show before, where some things say all ages but mean children, and I think this is one that can really be enjoyed by a ten year old and a thirty year old. Totally, I think in my never ending ploy to get everyone to play D anD D, this would be <laughs> a book that I would give to somebody and say. Like, hey, look, this is here's the fantasy genre um, to a certain extent, because um, right. there, there's a lot of like technology in it used as like you know some plot points, which I it's a whole other discussion. Oh, don't um, start me on. That. I know I, I didn't want to get I didn't want to set Nick off, but uh, I mean there's on the some whole, weird weird world building choices here. Let me tell you, there's I think they're so much fun though. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm we have archers, but we don't have guns. Yeah. Yeah, because she mixes medieval fantasy and sci-fi, and it's delightful. (laughs) Well, nonetheless, I would still give this to someone to say, hey, here's a cool fantasy book that's got a lot of modern feel to it. It's not going to overwhelm you like a Game of Thrones. It's not going to get super into the magic of the realm, like maybe Lord of the Rings or um, something like that. But it's it's very approachable. It's really easy to read. You're going to have a lot of laughs. You're going to have a lot of, like, big moments in the book and it ultimately climaxes in such a way that um 
you feel good at the end. You feel satisfied with the narr- narrative. Um, and then after that, we can roll up characters and you can pick to, if you want to be a golden loin, you can. If you want to be a black heart, you totally can. If you want to be a Nimona, we can work on it. It's complicated, but like it's totally possible by 20th <laughs> level that you could definitely be a druid that wild shapes, you know, five to 20 times a day if you want. We'll figure it all out. That's how I would get someone into this book. Uh, thanks for letting me be a total nerd on this show. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, but you know, th- I think this is a great pick. I'm really excited that we were able to pick this for the for the Goodreads group. Um, the the theme of the month was you know creators um, who are you know LGBT plus, um, and I think like this definitely is is like a great book in general. Um, and it just happens you know to be written by Noelle Stevenson, who is fantastic as well. Yeah, so I guess that's pretty much it. Any any other final words about this? And we I don't want to go into this whole world building thing with Nick, but um, I feel like I've just been rambling. It's beautiful. I want to play this D&D campaign with you. Let's make it happen. <laughs> we're we're going to finally get Nick to play Dungeons and Dragons with us. That's what's going to happen. And seeing that Nick is not not arguing that point, um, I'm going to yep, assume that's a yes. It's definitely happening. <laughs> so um, I guess let's wrap up here. You can follow everyone on the show on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Kate at Kate Scotchless. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where I'm posting things all hours of the day and night. Um, and every week we post a poll. This week's poll is, what is the best season for comics? Because I was really out of ideas today. Beyond that, we would recommend that you go ahead and check out our Goodreads group. We have weekly threads. This week's thread was Your Biggest Letdown Comic. Uh, As most of you will expect, I'll definitely have two cents to add in on that one. Yeah. Uh, Other than that, check out our website, ircbpodcast.com. We have a pronunciation guide for names, none of which I think I butchered this week. Uh, There will be time for next time. Uh, And we also have merch. So Mike has worked hard to figure out the equation to success, and it is rate plus subscribe equals more listeners. So please, please rate us and subscribe to the show. Uh, That helps us a lot. You can also email Mike at ircb at destroythesibe.org. He's lonely and loves hearing from you. It's so true. It's so true. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for the show. We can't thank them enough for letting us use their music. Xander is a wizard. He's also like that cool guy that's walking down the street and you like glance at him and he gives you like pointy fingers and then he puts his sunglasses on and skateboards away. He edits the show as well. Uh, I want to say thank you to Kate and Nick for being on the show. I want to say thank you to you, the listener, for being fantastic and checking out this show and listening to it and telling all your friends about it. Before we go, I want to remind everyone that we'll be off for a month. I haven't been telling anyone, but we're doing this thing that we do every summer where we take the month of July off. Um, so we'll be back at the end of July. I believe it's like the last the last Wednesday of July we'll be back. Um, so until next time, be the change in the world you want to see with patience and kindness. Thanks for listening.